Welcome to Strong to the Finish, presented by Shoot for Life Ministries. Strong to the Finish, sharing inspirational stories of hope with the spotlight on God. Now here are your hosts, Matt Bostick and Doug Amos. Welcome to Strong to the Finish. I'm your host, Matt Bostick, here with Doug Amos and brought to you by Shoot for Life Ministries, Doug Cannot wait for them to hear this interview. Jason Romano from from formerly with ESPN, now stepping out on faith uh, into ministry. And boy, day, this guy is unbelievable. Great storyteller. And when I read his bio, and you'll hear that, just all that he's done at ESPN and then saying, and I left because God's called me to full-time ministry. Uh, incredible leap of faith, but an incredible guy. Great stories you and he will share together and uh, just some super things to tie it into sports. But the way he, you know, the life he had as a child with his father and he has a book that's coming out about forgiveness. I just think uh, the next hour is going to be special for a lot of people listening to this radio show. Yes, I can't wait for you to hear this episode with Jason Romano, formerly of ESPN and has a new book out, Live to Forgive. I hope you enjoy this segment of Stronger the Finish, brought to you by Shoot for Life Ministries. Boshi Residential is excited about sponsoring Strong to the Finish. Over the past 35 years, the employees of Foshi have donated their time and resources to many charitable organizations throughout the River Region. Throughout each year, the employees of Foshi Management Company give more than 1,000 hours to organizations such as the Salvation Army, the Montgomery Miracle League, the Joy to Life Foundation, the Buddy Walk, the Boys and Girls Club, and the Dixie Youth Baseball League. Foshi Residential wishes much success to Strong to the Finish and hope that the stories can be an inspiration to all that listen. Can I help you? Yeah, I'm Bill. Yeah, Bill. My uncle tells me you check out houses for electrical safety. My wife, she uh, worries. Well, women do tend to worry, don't they? Actually, a lot of people worry, for good reason. Each year, over 65,000 American homes suffer a fire due to an electrical problem. To make sure you're not a victim, call Crosby Electric, your exclusive provider of CurrentSafe, the world's foremost home diagnostic system. What's that, Bill? A divining rod. It can spot electrical shorts inside your walls. It can. Technicians at Crosby Electric use special high-tech equipment to check your hidden wiring, panel box, light switches, and electrical outlets to scientifically pinpoint the location of any problems. So, find anything, Bill? Nope, you're safe. Ain't high-tech wonderful. Uh, yeah. Why worry? Call Crosby Electric at 272-2085 for a no-obligation safety assessment or visit CrosbyElectric.com. Now you'll be safe with current safe. Are ants and other pests invading your home? Protect your home with Cook's Pest Control. Cook's uses a proven system that's guaranteed. They begin by controlling pests inside, then maintain a protective barrier outside to help prevent future entry. Regular outside treatments mean your life isn't interrupted by pests or scheduling hassles. Call Cook's. Nobody is more thorough, courteous, or on time. Looky, 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 here comes Cookie. Cook's Pest Control. At Agape of Central Alabama, our mission is to help vulnerable and orphaned children find permanency in safe, nurturing families. Since our beginnings, we've counseled and supported hundreds of women facing unexpected pregnancies. We've also served more than 2,000 children through foster care and more than 250 through adoption. While there are other adoption and foster care services out there, we approach everything we do as a ministry of Jesus Christ, never as a business. 
our primary focus will always be the best outcome for each child and that child's birth mother and birth father, whether or not that leads to an adoption or placement. If you need help to make the best choice for your baby's future, we can help. And if you'd like to support Agape, we'd be grateful for your donations. Agape is a Christian nonprofit agency. To learn more, call 334-272-9466 or visit agapeforchildren.org. Why is Don Duncan's All-American Auto and Tire Center the place to get new tires? It's simple. They're a super dealer because they're a member of the largest tire manufacturer buying group in the country, meaning you'll find the best prices in the River Region at Don Duncan's. In addition, since they're a Goodyear dealer, any work you have them do in your vehicle carries a two-year, 24,000-mile warranty that's good anywhere in the country. Hometown service with nature. Nationwide warranties and to earn your trust and your business, Don Duncan's All American Auto and Tire is offering you an absolutely free tire rotation. Visit one of the three locations Madison Avenue, Bell Road, or McGee Road and see why Don Duncan's All American Tire is the River Region's leader in auto and tire service. Most would agree that the lifeblood of a church depends greatly on its children's program. The spiritual foundation of all our children is paramount. We also want them to have fun at the church building, both in the classroom and outside with their friends. That's why I want to tell you about J.A. Dawson & Company, your total recreation resource. Whether you're looking for a commercial-grade playground for your church grounds or one in your community, J.A. Dawson & Company is where you need to start. For 35 years, J.A. Dawson has been bringing fun and fitness to children and their families across the Southeast. Located in Alabama, they're your answer, whether it's for a small tot lot or an elaborate play environment, and they'll always stay within your budget. Their playgrounds are safe and innovative, and they're convenient. What are you waiting for? Get started now. Call 1-800-221-8869 or go to their website at jadawsonco.com. That's J-A-D-A-W-S-O-N-C-O.com. J.A. Dawson and Company, play, design, product, service. This is Keith Basil of Buffalo Rock. Buffalo Rock is a local family-owned distributor of many of your favorite soft drinks, and we are very happy to be able to sponsor Strong to the Finish. Being local, Buffalo Rock is very vested in community and are among the Kiwanis Club's best partners when it comes to the Alabama National Fair. Buffalo Rock also works closely with the MDA and partners with many fundraising events. Speaking of partners, at Buffalo Rock, we consider our employees as partners as well as our clients who we consider business partners. Buffalo Rock is a faith-filled company and looks forward to our relationship with Strong to the Finish program. Welcome to Strong to the Finish. This is your host, Matt Bostic, and I am sitting down today with Jason Romano. Jason, thanks for coming on. Happy to be here, Matt. Nice to talk to you. Where are you at today? I'm in Connecticut, Bristol, Connecticut. Bristol. What's the weather like up there this time <laughs> of year? I've never been I, up that far. Well, it's, it's basically central Connecticut, so it's late October, early November. It's you know, 45, 50 degrees, a uh, little breeze, but it's a nice day. We had a really nasty storm a couple of days ago, but that's over now, and the calm is here, and it's nice out. It's not so bad. That's great. Hey, I want to read something to you, Jason, because I know that um, you, ESPN for so long, you're, you're a father, and you're married, and um, you've got a new book coming out. But when I read this to you, just what goes through your mind? I was looking some things up about you the other night, and I know we've talked a couple of times on the phone, but when I read this to you, 16 years at ESPN, secured guests for ESPN, radio and digital shows, helped groom and hire coach on-air talent, established relationships with social media, produced ESPN radio, daily shows including Mike and Mike, 
the Dan Patrick NFL on ESPN Radio game nights, produced remote shows for the Super Bowl, NCAA men's college basketball Final Four, and MLB All-Star Game. But when you Google your name now, Jason, it says he's left ESPN to pursue ministry. When I read that I, resume, what, what goes through your mind today, October 31st, as we're taping this? I think um, gratitude, first of all, to have, the, have had the opportunity to, to work at ESPN. Because, none of, honestly, I don't think if I – I don't think that the opportunity of where I am now and being able to even leave ESPN to go into ministry doesn't happen if I – don't work at ESPN, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm just grateful for the time I had there, um, the relationships I built, the opportunities, the, the many different um, things I got to do. And you don't really realize it until you look back that you did a whole lot, you know. And I think that day that I left, February 10th was my last day, uh, last February 2017, I remember that day, and I felt like it was sort of a funeral in a lot of ways because mm. there were so many nice messages on social media and so many people, you know, that had a lot of nice things to say, and it felt weird. It felt like, you know, a eulogy in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, so um, it really just showed me that, you know, I really was grateful that I got to do a lot of things. And, I, you know, I say this with humility, but it really showed me that I guess there were a lot of people that I got to to impact. And that really meant a lot. You know, I guess you go through your daily, you know, your daily work and your daily grind of getting up and going to work every day and coming home. And, you know, you try to be the best person you can be and do the best job you can. And you don't really realize, you know, the amount of people that you came in contact with until it's done. And then you look back and you're like, wow, even today, there's been so many people that I haven't had a chance to even talk to from ESPN since I left because there's just so many of them. Social media allows you to stay sort of connected mm-hmm. in that way. But face-to-face, there's been so many people I haven't even gotten a chance to talk to since I left. So really just gratitude comes to mind when I think about all those years and all those many days going into the office at, at ESPN. Can we talk about the office for a second? Because this is a this is an affiliate. You're, some of these people that are listening today are, are on 107.5 here locally, ESPN, the tickets, and a radio affiliate of ESPN. And And they're diehard ESPN fans. And so when they hear that someone left there, I'm sure they're like, man, I want to hear, you know, again, why and what's it like behind the scenes? That's a long time to be at the mothership, people call it, of of radio for sports and TV. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, the very first day I went there, which would have been July 18th of 2000, I literally was a kid in a candy store. Mm. I was overwhelmed with excitement and and all that other stuff and it was just it was incredible it was um big huge studios and sports everywhere tvs everywhere um you know running in the halls or walking in the halls and seeing the people that you watched growing up like dan patrick like uh chris berman like Stuart scott you know rich eisen Mm. all these people that, you know, when I was in high school and college, I'm watching, and now I'm working at the same place as them. So that was definitely something that, you know, I felt early on when I started working there. And then as the years go by, 
you understand that you have a job to do and this is the place that you work and all that. But I never lost the, the sort of little kid in me that said, look what you're doing every day. Mm. You know, I, I, there were certainly days that I did not, uh, that I did not enjoy going to work. You know, I just didn't want to be there that day, whatever. But the overarching, you know, I would come home and very rarely would I talk about my job to my wife and, what I did, it would usually be something that I was complaining about. And she would often say to me, look what you're doing, you know? And, and I would, it would kind of put me back in my place and be like, yeah, you're right. I really don't have much to complain about. We're doing sports for a living. You know, we're talking about sports. We're producing sports. It's not a whole lot of, there's nothing to really uh, be angry about or upset about. Certainly politics and people and, the, you know, we're human, so we, we get on each other's nerves once in a while, but man, the, the grand scheme of things, when you go into that place, it is a campus. It is a very large, gigantic campus with 16 buildings. And, you know, it'll take you 15 minutes to walk from one end to the other, maybe 20 minutes. It's a good hike. And uh, it's just really, it's a, it's a great place. It's a, it's a the culture that was built there when I was there was really me. Everybody really took pride, I think, in coming to work and, and enjoying what they did. And, you know, they had a really beautiful cafeteria there and they had basketball courts for you to play ball in. And they had a, a gym that everybody could go to for free uh, and work out. I mean, they really, they had nice facilities there and you really appreciate it, I think, even more after you leave. <laughs> Jason, I want to ask you this question. What was your first Ben Simmons moment the other night? I was listening to him talk about he was playing against Dirk Nowinski, Ben Simmons, a rookie playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. And he was on yeah. the he was on the bench and he was saying, man, there's Dirk. I can't believe it. That's, that's Dirk Nowinski. <laughs> what, what was your moment, your first moment at ESPN? And you're like, I can't believe I'm standing next to or getting ready to to be with who? Mm, that's a good question. So early on. Uh, I worked on Mike and Mike in the morning way back in the day uh, when it was first coming out. So I was there. I came on the show about seven months after it started. So it wasn't what it is today uh, or what it has become. So I remember very early on, Mike and Mike had hired, uh, or no, ESPN Radio had hired a Dallas Cowboys offensive lineman named Nate Newton. And Nate was a staple on those Cowboy teams in the 90s. He won three Super Bowls with them. A big, big guy, about 350, 375 pounds. And Dallas, he had just retired, and Dallas was on the tail end of their of their dynasty. Troy Aikman was still there, and it was still there, and Michael Irvin was still there. But they were pretty much done as, you know, being what they used to be. And I remember walking into work one morning, I used to work on Sundays during the season booking guests for Mike and Mike, and there was Nate Newton. And I saw him, and I said, holy cow, that's Nate Newton. And inside, I'm not <laughs> – I, I don't, like, you know, gush and be like, you know, you're awesome. I, I'm a big Cowboys fan. No, I was just inside. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's Nate Newton. And he is not the biggest name that I've met by far over the years. But when I saw him – uh, for me, the longtime Dallas Cowboy fan that I was and still am. You still are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, big time. But that was a that was a cool moment for me early in my career. I've gotten to meet some of the 
you know, the greatest Cowboys ever in, in Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and even the current Cowboys like Jason Witten and Dak Prescott. I've gotten to meet all those guys, and they're, it's really neat to do that. But he was the first. And when you meet your first, you never forget that. And that yeah. was pretty neat. So Nate Newton for sure. Have you ever met Daryl Strawberry? I know he's one of your favorites growing up. You're a Mets fan and a, and a, a, Re, a Dallas Cowboys fan, correct? Yes, that's correct. Have so, you... yeah, I have met Daryl. Uh, not only have I met Daryl, but I got to become friends with Daryl, which there, there's a crazy story that goes behind that. So in 2009, Daryl Strawberry had a new book coming out, and I was the talent booker talent producer at ESPN assigned to bring him to ESPN to uh, schedule the shows that he would be on to help promote the book, like SportsCenter and Mike and Mike and The Herd and all these other shows at ESPN. And I had to put a schedule together and then take him around and uh, in essence be his tour guide and take him from show to show, make sure he was taken care of, make sure he got lunch and and was taken care of with food, all of that. So Daryl comes and he comes by himself. And there was no PR person. There was no uh, sort of, you know, groupies or no, um, you know, uh, crowd with him or other people working with him. It was literally just Daryl Strawberry. And so when he gets there, in the very beginning, I am, I'm, I'm just so nervous because he was my childhood hero. Right. As a 11-year-old boy who was a Mets fan. I had Daryl Strawberry's posters in my room. I kept his stats. I had his jersey. You name it, I had it. So he comes in, and he puts me at ease right away, just being super nice and super calm, and, and we talk for a few minutes, and he's, all of a sudden he asks me about my personal life. How's your, you know, are you married? Mm. You know, tell me about your kid. Tell me about your family. You know, and we get talking about my dad, and my dad mm. Uh, which you'll find out with my new book. My right. dad uh, struggled for many years with alcohol and depression. Our relationship was not the best. So I start opening up a little bit to Daryl Strawberry about that. Mm. You know, and I forget, I guess at the time, but Daryl Strawberry went through a lot of the same things that my dad went through with substance abuse and alcohol and addiction right. and drugs and, you know, uh, getting in trouble with the law, all of that. Mm-hmm. He was at a very bad place for a long time. So that's all we talked about the rest of the day when we had free time was my dad, my relationship with my dad, forgiveness, trying to overcome it. And I'll never forget that, first of all, because he he didn't have to show any interest in my life. He could have just been there promoting his book. I would have spent the day with him, and that would be a great story. But he took interest. Mm. And as a believer in Jesus, which I am and which he is also, we talked about matters of faith, and we really just hit it off. And we stayed in touch. Um, you know, we didn't do things together or anything like that, but we would send occasional texts and I'd see mm-hmm. him at different places, like at conferences or whatever. And the first thing he would always ask me is, how's your dad? He wouldn't wow. even say hello to me. He'd mm-hmm. just look at me and say, how's your dad? And mm-hmm. for many years, I couldn't answer that with a, with a, with a happy answer. It was always, he's still struggling, Daryl, keep praying for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and recently, in March of 2017, he was speaking at a conference in Hartford, so I went up there, uh, and I saw him, and I, I made sure I went over and said hello. And again, the very first thing he asked was, how's your dad? And he hadn't seen or talked to me in a few years. And I said, Daryl, I'm happy to tell you that my dad has been sober now for four years, mm. and we're writing a book together about our struggles and about forgiveness. Mm. 
and he was overwhelmed. Like he just thought that was the greatest thing ever, and, and he was so complimentary about it. Fast forward a few months, and as I'm putting the book together and finalizing how we're going to release this, I reached out to him and I said, Daryl, would you be interested in endorsing my book or reading it and maybe, you know, wanting to write something for it? And he said, yes. And Daryl Strawberry, my childhood hero, mm. wrote the forward mm. to my first ever book that's mm. coming out at the end of December. So that is mind-blowing to me when I tell the story. I still mm. get goosebumps because I tell people all the time, who was your guy when you were a kid? Mm. Now, fast forward 30 years and imagine he's writing a forward for your book. Wow. That's insane. Wow. So it is pretty, pretty cool. And uh, I'm very excited for that. Again, I'm sitting, that is a great story. I'm sitting down with Jason Romano, a 16-year vet from ESPN, has now has left to start as as known ministry. He's working with Sports Spectrum, and he has a new book coming out. And Jason, let's go there because you've been talking about it, your father, and and I've kept up with you on social media. And tell me about the book. I've pre-ordered it, haven't read it yet, but uh, take me to the book real quick, Jason. Absolutely. So the book is called "Live to Forgive." moving forward when those we love hurt us. And as I mentioned earlier with the relationship with my dad, the book is about forgiveness and about freedom and knowing that there is forgiveness possible even in the worst situations that you might have gone through or been through. And I tell the story through the lens of the relationship with my dad, uh, which was broken and an absolute mess for 35 years. Mm. And it took me till the age of 40 years old to finally forgive this man for what he had done to me and my family. Mm. And listen, I understand that forgiveness is difficult. I understand that reconciliation isn't always possible in relationships. Uh, but for my dad and I, we are reconciled, and our relationship is in a very good place right now. Um, but this book tells the story more about the process of trying to get to the possibility of even forgiving someone. Mm. and what that means, and transforming the wound and feeling the pain and things like that uh, as far as what it's like to go through that. And I tell a lot of very real, personal, very raw, very uh, difficult stories of my life and the stories that I've went through with my dad. And then there's very much a good chunk of the book, probably 30 or 40% of it is application, how to take that, uh, you know, the stories that I tell and apply them potentially to your life. Um, again, every situation is different. Uh, I've been reading a lot lately. It's weird. I've been reading a lot of stories lately of people who've been hurt. And a lot of times I'll read right in them that they say, I can never forgive that person. I can mm -hmm. never forgive that person. And that really um, pains me because oftentimes when we're, when we choose not to forgive someone, the person that we're hurting the most is ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I try to dive deep into the book. Um, and explore that kind of aspect of forgiveness and where the, the bitterness uh, and the rage really kind of seeps inside of us and it kind of stays there really for a long time. Um, so I, the book comes out uh, around Christmas time, December 25th or so. If you pre-order it, it'll be available everywhere with Amazon and all that in uh, early January. But I'm excited. It is available to pre-order now, as you said, um, and I'm excited to see what God wants to do with his book, to be quite honest with you, because I've never written a book before in my mm. life. Mm. Um, I'm not even sure if anybody has any interest in reading it, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. 
Um, but I, I hope that they do. And the only reason I wrote it was because somebody told me, if you have a story that you know can help someone else and you don't share it, you're being selfish. Mm. And so I started with a blog, then I shared it from the pulpit at a church, and I shared it to a teen uh, camp a few years ago. And I've seen the reaction from there. And so here we are with the book, and hopefully the book can help some people as well. Jason, with someone listening out there who's maybe struggling with forgiveness, do you mind sharing one story from your book about how you were hurt by your father and then maybe one application that they could take from it on how to forgive? Sure. Yeah. So the best story, it's not really a best story. It's not the, that's not the right word to use. But a story that comes to mind was when I was 14 years old, and honestly, Matt, these stories I hadn't thought about for many years. Mm. Um, they were things that I kind of put to the side and didn't even think about um, bringing back sort of into the into the mainstream of my life until we started diving into this book. But when I was 13 or 14 years old, as I mentioned, I grew up a Mets fan, still I'm a big Mets fan, and I was scheduled to go on a bus trip with my dad down to New York City to see the Mets uh, take on the Cardinals. This would have been probably 1985, 1986, mm. uh, in the heyday of when the Mets were at the, the peak of their game. Absolutely. Uh, and the peak of, of their, of their the heights of their world championship team back then. And So I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. It's a Saturday night, and I'm going to stay at my grandparents' house with my dad, get ready to go uh, on this bus trip the next morning. And my dad, when I get there, my dad is drunk. Mm. And uh, I just remember thinking, I, I was so young, I was 13 or 14, and I knew my dad by that time had drinking problems, but I didn't really care as much about it as long as it didn't affect us. You know, as kids, you're, you're so caught up in your own life that you're not really thinking about everybody else. You're just thinking about yourself. Mm. And I remember seeing my dad drunk and thinking, oh my gosh, he can't stay sober for his son. We're going to a baseball game tomorrow, and this is going to be awful. So I chose, I got very angry, very emotional, mm. and I actually ran and hid into my grandparents' bathroom. Mm. And I locked the door, and uh, I just stayed there for two hours. And I would hear, you know, crying mm. and upset. And my grandparents, I could hear them coming in and, and knocking, come on, Jay, come out, come out, it's okay. And I remember just screaming, no, it's not okay. I can't believe he did this to me. No, no, no. And I could hear my dad yelling too. And it was just, it was, I was let down as, as a son who mm. wanted to go to a baseball game with his dad. But even more, I was let down as a son who was at the time still trusting his dad to, to um, follow through on this exciting moment. And it was just us two going. It wasn't my other brothers or anybody else going. It was just me and him. And I was devastated. And as I looked back and I started to put these feelings on paper and write them into a book, I remember thinking, you know, when we choose not to forgive, which in essence I was doing at that time, even though I was still a young teenager, we put up barriers in our life. And that shutting that door in that bathroom mm. was putting up a barrier to, to keep me from having to deal with what I was, what I was going through. Mm. And, you know, as, as a 13 year old, you're not thinking, you know, even as a 20 year old, I'm not thinking about barriers and walls and things like that. But looking back now, 
it's clear I needed that barrier in my life. I needed this wall to put up to pro- to protect myself and, and keep myself from being hurt from my dad. Mm. And I think as people go through life now and they w- walk through unforgiveness, we have these barriers in our life that prevent us from not only having to deal with the person uh, that, is, that has hurt us, but prevent us from even diving into the emotional aspect of why we're not forgiving. Mm. And so that's exactly what I discovered with me. And those continued for many years. That was just one of the first real memories I had of sort of this barrier that I needed to put in front of this wall that I needed to protect myself from my dad through. And my mom did a good job of protecting us too. But as I got older and going away to college, realizing I probably went away to college to be away from my dad Mm. and then coming back from college and then going into work and moving to ESPN, coming to Connecticut again, sort of walls and barriers and, and distance, if you will, from the problem, which was the root of the problem, which was the the bitterness that I had towards my father. So, I could go on and on, but I don't want to. Sure. I don't want to hijack your podcast. No, this is uh, great stuff. Again, I'm sitting down with Jason Romano, formerly of ESPN, has a new book out, "Live to Forgive," and he's talking about his relationship with his father. Um, Jason, when when you were going and working with ESPN, when did you decide to write the book? Was it was it something that was building up in you? Like how this forgiveness process kind of evolve into where you thought, "I need to write this out. I'm getting some real healing, some real traction." To I want to put mm-hmm. my story out there. It's a great question. Um, I actually had the idea. Well, let me let me backtrack. So I mentioned that the very first time I ever wrote about my dad was in a blog, uh, 2014. So not that long ago, three years ago, mm. and it was about choosing to forgive my dad. So I had, in essence, forgiven my dad in in late 2013. I wrote a blog about it in 2014. The blog was literally five paragraphs, so it wasn't this very long, deep. Um, deep-rooted thing, and then my pastor asked me to speak at my church for the very first time in May of 2015, and that's the first time I ever publicly talked about or shared anything about my dad, and I spoke about forgiveness. Mm. So I could sense that something was going on with the aspect of forgiveness and my dad and my story. Then, Mm. uh, a year later, in 2016, I shared with 80 teenagers, this same exact sermon, and 80 teenagers came to the altar crying and weeping over forgiveness uh, issues that they had in their lives. Mm. So that was really the opener for me to be like, okay, we need to tell this story to more people somehow, some way. Mm. I get on a call with a pastor named Caleb Kaltenbach, who is an author and uh, a pastor out in Simi Valley, California. And I was just in the midst of 2016, early 2016, as I'm still exploring the idea of leaving ESPN, which I hadn't done yet, mm-hmm. I just started connecting with different pastors, different leaders in the faith space, uh, and just talking to them about whatever, you know, just connecting with them. And Caleb was the very first person who said to me, you need to write a book. And I laughed at him. I mean, I laughed. <laughs> I openly laughed and said, you're crazy. There's no way. I'm not a book writer. I'm not an author. I'm never writing a book. He's like, no, your story is powerful. Because he had heard the, the sermon that I had preached about my dad. He's like, you need to tell that story of forgiveness. And I said, I don't want to write a book. I'm not an author. He goes, no, you need, you need to try. You need to get, you just take some time and start writing some things down 
uh, and you're you just it's an important topic, an important story, and it can really affect a lot of people. And God has given you a platform now where I think a lot of people will actually read it. So you need to write this. So he's the very first person that said that. So that began the process of about three months of me laying out a couple chapters, maybe a a vision of what a what a book layout would look like. And after a few more calls with some different people, I got connected to a publisher called Core Media, and I signed a deal with them after we put a proposal together and I talked to their president. And in August of 2016, I signed a deal with them to write the book. And I have an author named Steve um, Copeland who was helping me or who helped me put the book together and kind of outline it and, and take it to another level of being a good read to what I think is a great read. And so Steve has helped me, and since August of 2016, we've been working on the book. So I had not left ESPN until February of 2017. So there's a good five months there, or six months or whatever it is, mm. of me working on the book before I had left. And uh, so there was no... There's no connection between why I left and having a book coming out. It just kind of all melted together at the same time. Let me ask you this. As you were writing it, was it like another inventory as far as you inventorying kind of the, the bitterness towards your father? Was it a real healing process, the more that you, you could put down on paper from your head to your heart? Tell me about that process. And maybe even from your wife's perspective or some of your close friends, could they see a difference in your heart changing as you begin to kind of write even more about your father? A good question. I think the first part of that is yes. The there, it was it was a therapeutic uh, experience for me that I've ever had. Um, I remember the very first time that Steve and I got together to think about how we were going to write the book. We started with literally just hitting record on our phone mm. and talking, and it's, and we spent five out five days, four days. I'm sorry, and about nine hours each day just talking. That's how long wow. the process was. Wow. And it felt, I mean, I was overwhelmed. It was about a year ago at this time, October of 2016, and I never felt more um, wiped out, I guess, um, mm. emotionally than I did after that weekend because I had to kind of really go back and explore a lot of what I went through with my dad. Areas and, you've buried, um, correct? Some, some things oh, that yeah, you've buried. A, there is a chapter in the book called Boxes in the Attic. Mm. And as Steve and I were talking, we were coming up with this metaphor that so many of these stories, so many of these moments, so many of these experiences with my dad were basically like boxes in the attic. Mm. And they were, they were things that were put up in the attic, in this box that you hadn't seen or looked at for a long time, but they were still there. You know, they never disappeared. And yeah, I mean, it was this, it was this unbelievable emotional therapeutic experience that I went through, certainly in it, having read through the, the manuscript, you know, you know, numerous times by now, every time I read it, you know, I, I get emotional because I look at it and I say, wow, I mean, I, here's, these are things that mm. I forgot about. I actually had to bring in my brothers and, and even my dad to some extent um, to remember some of these moments. Unfortunately, you know, most of them not, not great memories, but we had to talk about these things together as a family and, and harken back to some times that weren't pretty. And yeah, I mean, it, it, without there being an actual therapist in the room, it was very therapeutic for sure. Um, as far as my, you know, you know, my, 
my heart changing or the way I look at people. I don't think that that really has been, you know, overtly obvious in my life. I think it's been probably over the last four years a difference that my wife would tell you she's seen because of the way that I've been able to reconcile with my dad. Mm -hmm. My wife has been through those times with me when I'm screaming on the phone, yelling at my father to stop calling, Mm -hmm. when he's cursing us out and leaving terrible voicemail messages Mm -hmm. uh, in a drunken state about how much he hates us and Mm -hmm. calling us these terrible names. So she's seen the real, real bad and ugly side of this. And now she's seeing, you know, a relationship that's working and processing and in repair and, and, and getting uh, to a better place. And so she's seen, I think seeing through that has seen, you know, sort of a change in myself because I would, if you would have told me 10 years ago that we would be where we are now with my relationship with my dad, I probably would have just shook my head and said, no way. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he would ever get sober ever. Wow. Tell me about this, Jason. When you, what was the first moment you called your dad? Did you call him? Did you sit down in person and say, Dad, I want to write this book, and you're going to be the center of it, right? I mean, there yeah. has to be that moment. Can you tell me about that? I can, yeah. I remember um, after talking to a few people, you know, including Caleb, about the idea of writing this book, I called my dad. And, you know, our relationship was in a good place then, so I could call him and talk to him about it. And I said, listen, I said I'm thinking about writing this book about forgiveness and have it be through the lens of our relationship. Mm. I said, um, but I don't want to write it if I can't write everything that we've been through because it's important for me to be as transparent and honest and vulnerable as you can be because that's when I think real healing begins, not just for yourself, but for others. Mm. I said, what do you think? And he didn't ask a lot of questions. He said, Jay, We've been through hell and back, mm. and if one person can can be healed through our experiences and through my mess, he's like, you need to write this book. Wow. And I said, so you're okay with me telling everything about you? I mean, it's going to get ugly. There's going to be some really nasty moments. It's going to make you look like a terrible person for many years, but there's a happy ending, if, if you will, at, at the end. And he's like, I don't care. You write everything you need to write. Mm. I promise you, if it helps one person, that's all I care about. I said, wow, okay. And so that was all we talked about. That was the end of that. And we moved forward with the book. We moved forward with the story, with the writing. And in the process, I would update him on how things were coming along. You know, I'd ask him a couple questions here and there, you know, about the memories that I had and making sure that they were the right memories in the sense of what happened. Cause my dad has a photographic memory very much like I do, Wow! but he doesn't forget anything. Mm. So I said, when we were getting ready to go to the Mets Cardinals game, do you remember me in the bathroom with the door shut? He's like, Oh yeah. Mm. And so he remembers all that, even though he was in a complete drunken state. And so it, it helped to kind of just get some confirmation from him on certain things. But you know, this book was, I wanted to write this book without, outside influences, including my dad. So I didn't get a lot of influence from him. My mom, who would ask me all the time, can I read a manuscript? Can I read a manuscript? I said, no, <laughs> mom, let me finish this first, and you can get a copy, I promise you. <laughs> and the same with my brothers, uh, and they've all read it now. You know, the book is, is gone to print, so I sent it to my mom and my brothers, and, um, you know, I think they, they've seen how, uh, how powerful a story and how crazy of a life that we've lived and, uh, you know, we're just one family. We're from this small little town in, outside of Albany, New York. You know, we're nobody special, but 
we tell the story. And if it, again, if it can help one person, then that it needs to be written. And it's tremendous power for you, right? I'm sure when you speak and people write you back and say, hey, your story moved me, but, or when you read it again, go back through it, that's got to be a powerful moment. Your interview with Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ, I remember Lee saying he started bawling yeah. watching the movie. Uh, and I thought, yeah. man, I must be to share that, to get it out, to see people's response. Jason, what's that been like to speak, to read it again? And tell me about your heart and what, what, that, what, what goes through your, your mind and your heart. Yeah, it's, you know, a ton of, there hasn't been many people who've read it so far. There's been a couple people, uh, a couple people who endorsed it and a few other people who've seen an early advanced copy of it. And the response already has been pretty powerful. Um, just the, you know, it's not just the response is not just, oh, that's a good read. Thank you for writing it. It's, you've made me think about the relationship with my own father or my own mother and how I'm going to have to walk towards forgiveness. Mm. So that's more powerful than anything to me is when I get a response like that and people are saying that it's really made them kind of search their own hearts for those boxes that are in their, their attic and have to find uh, what that bitterness or what that anger or what that um, brokenness stems from. And so I, love, I mean, I'm overwhelmed and humbled by that, to be quite honest with you. I, sure. I'm not, like I say, I'm not anybody. I'm just a guy <laughs> who tries to say yes to God and take advantage of the opportunities that he has given me. And, you know, I'm a sports guy. And there is a lot of sports in this book, you know, just through the lens of my relationship with my dad. Yeah. But I'm not a writer. I'm not. And I'm, I never wanted to be any kind of speaker or a guy that's standing up in front of people and telling them about, how jacked up my family was when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> That's vulnerable. Not, yeah, it's not what I've set out to do, but the more I've done it, the more I've shared with people, the more I see that they're impacted by it. Mm. And if God wants to keep opening up doors for me to do that, then i got to say yes, because if I say no, I feel like I'm being selfish and I'm keeping things to myself when we live in a world where we really need to, to be open about our struggles. Mm. And... uh and that's where the healing begins, to be quite honest with you. I'm, and you are such a humble guy, Jason. I'm sitting down with Jason Romano. He's got a new book coming out called Live to Forgive. And he was formerly with ESPN. And let's have some fun real quick, Jason, and go back before we talk about how to, to pre-order your book and to purchase that one sure. more time. But let's let's go back to ESPN and ask you. I want to ask, we're down here in the south. We're in the heart of SEC country down <laughs> here on this ESPN, the ticket affiliate Tell me something. How is the South, the SEC, viewed up north? Uh, as the as the king of college football, <laughs> <laughs> especially at ESPN. Uh, you know, even though we're in Connecticut, we don't. Um, you know, college football is is in many ways king, and they were the bread and butter for ESPN for many years. Mm-hmm. So they love college football. We have a lot. Of, I mean, think about this. People are, well, you'll ask me a question like, how are we viewed up north? I can only tell you through the lens of ESPN. Right. And ESPN is not just people who are from Connecticut. I mean, it is, I would argue that probably 80% of the people that work at ESPN are from other areas of the country. Right. Wow. By far. Wow. And so we have tons and tons of people who are from the South. And I never understood this sort of love for college football or the, 
Southeast Conference and, and just where college football reigned until probably about five, six years into my tenure at ESPN. And then as I was a talent booker, we would bring college football coaches to ESPN in Bristol and get to meet you know, people like Mark Rick mm. and Gene Chizik from Auburn and some of these other coaches. And you realize, holy cow, college football is gigantic because you'd see the reaction from people watching and listening on social media and things like that. So um, it's viewed as, as, in a lot of ways, the king of, of college football, the SEC, for sure. And uh, it's viewed in a very positive light, I think, you know, when you think about all the teams that play and knowing that each year one, possibly two, maybe even three teams are going to be right in the mix to win the national championship every year because they're in the Southeast Conference. Have you ever walked Nick Saban around the campus of ESPN? That's a great question. So I didn't walk him around, but I was involved in a day when he was, like when I walked around Mark Rick, he was at Georgia at the time as the head coach. That was a day where we had what we call the coaches car wash. So all the SEC head coaches would come to ESPN in Bristol and go from show to show to show and do a bunch of interviews. Right. And so the day that Mark Rick was there was also the day that Nick Saban was there was also the day that all these other coaches in the SEC were there. And so I got to interact with Saban maybe for five, 10 minutes here and there, uh, but I didn't spend a day with him. No, but, in all my um, years and the people who I know who have spent time with him, um, they say he's the same guy that you might see on TV. Like he's all business. Uh, he's got a good sense of humor that you don't get a chance to really um, see much in the public. Um, you know, very Belichickian, if you will, Bill Belichick wise in terms of the way he carries himself. Um, but, you know, uh, but very cordial, you know, nothing, nothing bad or, or ne- negative at all. Uh, but he's all business. And that's, even when he comes to do interviews, he's all business. Whereas Mark Rick was, uh, you know, so much fun. He wanted to see the campus. Take me to the studios. Take me to you know, <laughs> the cafeteria. I hear about this big cafeteria you have. So it's a different experience, but, you know, it's it's the same kind of uh, end result, which is to get them on all the different shows. I've got two more questions for you. What what was a sh- uh, the pre or production, I guess, meeting like for let's just say the Mike and Mike show? Were you involved in that? And what time did you have to get there? It's kind of two questions in one. Yeah. Um, so the, the the pre-production meetings would sort of happen the day before. So I'll give you a little snapshot okay. of my okay. of my day. So I would wake up at three forty-five a.m. Wow, really, really early. Uh, and I would get to the office by 4.30. The show started at 6. We had a pre-production meeting at 5 uh, that the producers would go over. It wouldn't be Mike and Mike. And we would just kind of make sure that we had all our ducks in the row and that the show was, uh, you know, all set. The guest, here's the guests we're going to have. Here's any stunts we're going to do. Here's the topics we're going to talk about. Greeny and Gork would arrive around 5.30. And they would go get makeup real quick because it's a TV show as well as a radio show. So sure. they had to make sure that there was some makeup on. And then they would walk in the studios at 5.50. And 6 o'clock, the show would come on the air. And we're off to the races for four hours. Mm. When the show is over, we have a quick recap meeting around 10.05. That would take about 10 minutes with Greeny and Golick and all the producers. And we just talk about what we heard, what we liked, and then go over the next day 
briefly. So we would say, all right, here's the guests we have coming up tomorrow. Is there anybody you want us to go after? Is there any topics you really want to hit on tomorrow? Did we did we um, wear out the topic that we were talking about today? Or right. did we have legs? Can we bring it back into the show tomorrow? So that would be then. And then we would go do a post-post meeting with just the producers that would happen for about a half hour. Wow. 10.30 or so. Oh, yeah. And we would just talk about the things that Greeny and Golik don't need to worry about. The behind the scenes, the, the, you know, the errors maybe that we made, the, the ideas uh, that we want to bring to the table and then present to Greeny and Golik. So that's kind of how wow. the show would work. And by 10, 30, 11 o'clock, we're all, we all go back to work and work on the next day's show. For me, I would leave usually the office around 1 o'clock, 12.30, 1 o'clock and have an early lunch and then leave the office and come home. And really, when you work on a show like Mike and Mike, you have to kind of be available all day long. And so a note would get sent out, an email note would get sent out to the entire crew around 1 o'clock for the next day's show. Wow. And we would all jump into that email and come up with more ideas, more thoughts, guest guest suggestions, Hmm. whatever it was. And usually by 6, 7 o'clock at night, we would all kind of go dark for, for the rest of the day and then wake up the next morning and do it all again. What? I would try and get a nap in every single day uh, in that time frame of working on Mike and Mike, about a 20-minute to 40-minute nap around 3 o'clock or so. And it would just allow me to have a normal, a just normal day to be able to stay up with my wife and my <laughs> kid and spend some time with them and all that. So. Fascinating. It, it wasn't. It was not an easy schedule or an easy time or easy shift to work on. Wow. But I had a blast. It was the most fun I've had at ESPN in my seventeen years. <laughs> oh, hey Jason, it's, this has been a blast, and uh, I cannot wait to read your book, "Live to Forgive." Tell them, um, tell the listeners how they can download this, buy it, purchase it, however you want to say it. And uh, yeah, so as we're speaking. Uh, Right now, the book is available for pre-order. So it's only available at the publisher's website or at my own website right now to pre-order. It will be available on Amazon. It will be available on Barnes & Noble and all the other places you buy books come mid-January. But if you pre-order it now, you will get the book before Christmas. That's the promise from the publisher, and that gets me excited because it really won't be available to the masses until after Christmas. But if you pre-order it, and you can pre-order it as soon or as late as December 20th and still get it in time for Christmas. Awesome. Um, so that's a great way to do it. The website, my personal website is jasonromano22.com, jasonromano22.com. And on that main page, if you scroll down just a little bit, you'll see the area for pre-ordering the book. And you just click that, and it takes you right to the website to order it. You can also go to thecoremediagroup.com, the core mediagroup.com and it's available there that is the publisher core media so either of those two places uh, and you can pre-order it now and again if you're hearing this after january 1st we'll say you can go to amazon and barnes and noble and all those other places and order it as well gosh i gotta run quickly but tell them what you're doing now with sports spectrum uh briefly because i'm I'm loving following sports spectrum uh and your podcast so we've been doing, uh, Sports Spectrum was the venture that I left ESPN to go work for. Uh, they are a place where sports uh, is told and the stories of sports are told, but they're told through the lens of the guys who play the sports and their faith 
And it's really been great to kind of tell these positive stories, these encouraging stories of these athletes and these different experiences and stories in sports through the lens of Jesus, through the lens mm. of faith. So Sports Spectrum is a media site. It's a website, sportspectrum.com. And it's a podcast, which I've been hosting for seven months now, the Sports Spectrum podcast. And we've done almost over 50 episodes, over 100,000 downloads, and really just a lot of great stories and a great platform to allow these athletes and these different people in the world of sports to tell their story, their faith story, their family story, the positive stories, the impactful stories that they've had in their life, not just what you see on the field. So mm. sportspectrum.com has it all. Jason Romano, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. I, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan, not just because of your your bio, your resume, but because of your heart, your humility. Cannot wait to read your book, and thanks again for coming on the show. Matt, my pleasure anytime, my friend. Thank you. All right, guys. Hey, when I get back, Doug's going to join me, and we're going to finish up this Strong to the Finish uh, podcast slash radio show today, brought to you by Shoot for Life Ministries. We'll be right back after this short timeout. When I have the opportunity, I'm always going to turn to locally owned small businesses when I'm in need. Carol's Carpet Flooring America is owned by the Lee Corson family. I've known the Corsons for decades, and I know he'll always offer his customers the best product for the best price and will provide the best possible service. How do I know that? Because in running his business, he treats his customers like he would want to be treated, whether you've known him for 40 years or have just met him. It's why when I refloored my entire home, I turned to him. Give the great folks at Carol's Carpet Flooring America, an opportunity to earn your trust and your business. There are two locations, one in Prattville on Cobbsford Road and one in Montgomery on the bypass just before you get to the 231 exit headed toward Wetumpka. There's a reason why they're the most recommended flooring store. It's where friends send friends. Carol's Carpet Flooring America. Tell them Laura sent you. This is Mike Costanza with Chappie's Deli. And Jeff Branca with Chappie's Deli. Let's talk about happy at Chappie's. Say what, Mike? Yeah, see, happy is right there in the middle of Chappie's. Oh, I get it, Gramps, and there are a lot of ways to get happy at Chappie's. Exactly. Healthy food, tasty, and good for you. Something for everyone. Kids eat free. And free ice cream and breakfast open at 6 a.m. Variety, burgers, chicken, paninis. And the sizzle of the Chappie's Deli Grill, the Reuben, New York pastrami, and French dip. And eating with family and friends. Mike, I'm just so happy thinking about it. I could sing. Please, Jeff. No, don't. Don't. We get complaints when you sing. Mike, how's this? I don't worry. Uh, eat Chappies. Oh, no, not again. Folks, come get happy at Chappies Deli. Perry Hill, Pepper Tree, Prattville, Baptist South Towers, and Auburn. And don't worry. Eat Chappies. I don't know why people complain. I had to close my eyes when I was singing to get in the rhythm. <laughs> I had to close my ears when you sang. Amidst grips, barrels, and stocks, entrenched within pins, bolts, and hammers, are stories of personal security, exercising a right, or just the joy of the hunt. For the peacemakers, the caretakers, the huntsman, or the hero, buy, sell, or trade firearms, ammunition, and accessories to assist you in living your American dream are available at Capital Pawn Shop. 
Troy Highway Montgomery, and Highway 14 East Millbrook. If you're a pet lover like me and you travel as much as I do, then you understand the need to have your four-legged family members taken care of while you're on the road. Whether you're on a business trip or a relaxing vacation, make sure your pets are relaxing too by taking them to the pet resort at the Chantilly Parkway location of the Goodwin Animal Hospital. Dr. Donnie Goodwin and his personal staff will feed, nurture, and lavish attention on your dog or cat, providing tender, loving care when you can't be there. And yes, this includes brushing and cuddling and some much-needed supervised outdoor playtime so your pet stays happy and healthy. Call them today at 279-0500 for more information and take the stress out of worrying about your pet while you're away. Did you buy a term life insurance policy 10 or 15 years ago, store it in a drawer and say out of sight, out of mind? This is Brian Polk with Benefit Planners. If that's the case, you could be making a costly mistake. I bet you didn't know that term life rates have continued to go down over the last 20 years. At Benefit Planners, we are independent agents who strive to give you valuable products at competitive rates. Visit our website, BenefitPlannersInc.com, for a no-obligation quote or call 495-7476 and let us go over your current policy with you. Again, that's BenefitPlannersInc.com or 495-7476 for your free no-obligation quote. Welcome back to Strong to the Finish. I hope you enjoyed that sit-down conversation with Jason Romano. Doug, what's one takeaway um, that, that you have from that conversation? Uh, you know, j- just thinking about growing up with with a uh, with the challenge of of having an issue in the home with with a parent that's struggling mm-hmm. with addiction and and then having to get past that to forgiveness. I think to me that overrode all of the great sports stories that we heard from him. Of course, I'm a Cowboy fan, so I loved your talk with <laughs> about his visit about Nate Newton, but I wasn't so happy about the one with Daryl Strawberry who. <laughs> he has a real connection with. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, so oh, wow. that whole time I'm thinking about the 86 World Series and <laughs> Buckner uh, and all that. But as you know, Matt, uh, prior to your uh, joining our program here, Daryl Strawberry was a guest on this show. Mm. And so I really I know his story and I'm well connected to it. And I loved the tone of Jason's voice when he talked about the blessing of having his childhood hero write the forward to his book. That mm. that was remarkable. Yes, and then the, the power of forgiveness, what's going on in Jason's life now with the healing of the relationship between he and his father. Um, I can't wait to get the book. I have pre-ordered it, and I'm going to read it, and I think it will be a good gift. And I know you're going to have him on your show maybe later on this year. Yeah, I think we're going to have him on sometime in December on our daily uh, show, and then again in January when the book is out. Uh, he's just a great guest. That, like he told us when we were signing off with him, he's got a million stories to tell, and he tells them well, uh, having been so long there at ESPN. Also liked it uh, in our last thirty seconds or so here, Matt, when he talked about how when he came home had a bad day, maybe not in a great mood, or uh, his wife would kind of put things in perspective for him that he has that dream job that a lot of guys would love to have and uh, be thankful for it right that's right and hey listen if you want to share this podcast with somebody uh, keep in mind you can download this on soundcloud itunes and if there's someone struggling with forgiveness shoot this off to him and share it with them again this is matt bostic and doug amos with strong to the finish brought to you by shoot for life ministries so long everybody